The Full Exposure Podcast is made possible by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn in appreciation for the contributions that artists and creative minds provide to our community. Arts and culture are essential to a rich and rewarding life, strengthening our overall well-being and our appreciation of all that we see, hear, and experience. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. Today is a very special edition. We welcome Dr. Peter Hahn who is uh, familiar to all of you in our audience as the Chief Executive Officer of Metro Health University of Michigan Health here in West Michigan. I thought it would be a great um, time to have Dr. Hahn on our podcast um, to discuss COVID-19, coronavirus, and what is happening in West Michigan, and specifically with Metro Health in terms of their efforts to um, care for our community in the midst of this healthcare crisis. It is unprecedented. As you know, there are all kinds of words that uh, fall short in explaining what is happening around the globe and with us here in Michigan. There are, without a doubt, many things we can be doing practically to ensure the, the health and safety of ourselves and our families. The primary uh, takeaway from this is the absolute fundamental need for all of us to socially isolate and limit our exposure to others. Uh, If you do not need to go out, do not go out. Uh, It must be uh, imperative that you um, stay with your family, stay home, go for walks in your neighborhood, but uh, limit your interactions as difficult as it may be. If you have children like I do, uh, I have three daughters, all of which are um, very challenged during this time to limit their exposure. They're all healthy, thankfully, at the moment, and um, we want to keep everybody that way. But it uh, requires some very difficult and vigilant decisions for all of us to um, hunker down. And um, if we can flatten this curve, as Dr. Hahn uh, talks about, uh, we will do our healthcare systems uh, here in West Michigan a huge favor by not uh, uh, contributing to any surge, an unnecessary surge of patients um, influxing into our hospital systems and straining it to the point where we cannot uh, care for those who need care (laughs) outside of COVID-19. As you know, people, life goes on. They need uh, treatments for heart ailments, for um, any other reasons that people might on a normal day be hospitalized. But um, if the system is overloaded with um, people coming in with COVID-19, it makes the care of uh, routine and other crises, health crises that people present themselves to hospital systems for care, um, it's going to be extremely difficult for our region. So it was truly an honor to have uh, Dr. Peter Hahn into my studio for this podcast episode. We did practice uh, safe social distancing. We did not shake hands as we normally would. Um, we distance our, distanced ourselves as much as possible during our interview, as well as during a very, very quick portrait session um, before we sat down to do the interview. I did not want a portrait session to take very long or this interview. Quite frankly, we wanted to give it the time and space it needed to have a conversation about COVID-19, but I also wanted to ensure that Dr. Hahn could uh, return to his duties as Chief Executive Officer of Metro Health as soon as possible. So 
With that, let's explore the bigger picture with Dr. Peter Hahn. on these things, Peter. <laughs> Try to be professional. Absolutely. Especially extra professional for you today. Appreciate well, that. Uh, welcome to you, Dr. Peter Hahn. It's awesome to have you. Our uh, audience is familiar with your name because um, you've been our premier uh, headlining um, sponsor here at the Full Exposure Podcast. So thank you very much for your support. And I want to dig into all kinds of things with you later about your career and things. But for now... Um, I just want to, let's talk about the coronavirus and what's happening at Metro. And um, can you just tee up for us, like, you know, just in your career, have you seen anything like this in terms of uh, outside of simulations, I suppose? <laughs> right. No, that's an easy answer, Ryan. Absolutely no. Um, and I can vouch to the audience that there are only three of us in here and we're pretty distant um, <laughs> from each other. But no, Brian, this, these are unprecedented times. Um, you know, whether you're a physician, whether you're a nurse, whether, you know, anybody in the public. And so, you know, I think it's a time, though, that we're, we're all galvanizing. We're coming together in spirit, staying yeah. apart, right, physically. But um, no, it's, it's a time that things are changing day by day. And, you know, as we were sort of setting up for this, I was checking my phone, you know, not to yeah. be asocial, but because emails and texts are coming in just real time with yeah. changes. Well, and you being the CEO of Metro Health, University of Michigan Health is, uh, you know, you're quarterbacking this whole thing uh, with a, a lot of help and experts. Absolutely. But uh, but just uh, when did when did the uh, when did Metro Health's radar really go up and start to plan? Uh, you know, for our community because you're such a big part of keeping our everyone here healthy. You're a big hospital system here. And when did uh, you get wind of like, okay, this has my attention now? Yeah, you know, I think as a healthcare system, um, just like our sort of sister organizations here in Grand Rapids, all around the state. We've got great plans around disasters and protocols. You know, in terms of COVID-19, really, I think the alarms for us as healthcare systems uh, were, were taken off probably in about the last two weeks. Um, the world has changed in the last one to two months, but really, I think locally, probably in the last two weeks, really realizing the extent of, of what could happen and really just also looking at what's happened in Italy, I think has really informed the way we think about it, mm -hmm. informed the way that we plan for this. Um, I do want to speak to just the, the spirit of collaboration between um, Spectrum, St. Mary's, and us. You know, I'm, I'm in touch with my counterparts there regularly. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's great to be working together. Um, but uh, yeah, the last one to two weeks has been really crucial. Well, I think that's great to hear because in my industry, you know, there's, uh, and, and as healthcare has expanded in our region, we're a growing, thriving economic regions. There's lots of opportunities for growth for healthcare systems. You know, there's kind of a gloves on, time to put the gloves on and time to right. take them off. And it's, it sounds to me like, you know, now's not the time to, uh, it's a time to come together and pool resources and talent and keep an, keep an eye on our neighbors, whether we're uh, sister healthcare systems, as you said, or just uh, partners in the community. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's, you know, um, I was on a call with uh, Governor Whitmer and other hospital CEOs uh, a few days ago, and, you know, we're all facing the same issues, really, and concerned about the same things. And I think the government has stepped up to, to make sure that, uh, you know, we feel taken care of. But, uh, you know, I, I can't stress enough, really, from a healthcare perspective, how important, you know, that term flattening the curve is, yes. right? So let's talk about that uh, yeah. just for, uh, I'm hyper aware of it. I have two, two children with some, some heightened exposure risks. And so uh, my wife and I's ear has been to the ground. But by flattening the curve, I think most people are familiar with that term. But can you just tee it up from your perspective, professional perspective, what, why that's so important, what it means and why it's so important? Right. And, you know, I think a lot of folks probably a month ago had never really heard that term. Now it's as ubiquitous as uh, go blue, right? <laughs> right? And it's interesting because really that term flattened the curve uh, was coined by a U of M professor, um, Howard Martell. And it really, you know, he was studying the 1918, that big flu epidemic that yeah. really affected this country and, and really looking at cities that really did well through it and other cities that did not. And what really became clear is just the significant importance of social distancing yeah. to really curtail that big spike in cases. Mm -hmm. And the reason that big spike is so concerning is that as a country, we have a very defined set of hospital beds, hospital providers. Yeah. Um, for a, a country of 300 plus million, Depending on what you read, we've got about 800 to 900,000 hospital beds. So if there is that big spike, it's going to overwhelm the healthcare system. Whereas if you flatten that curve, mm -hmm. you know we can stay within our capacity. Um, right. And just to plus on to that, from my understanding, and you can correct me at any point in this conversation, yeah. um, but the. Um, the idea is is not to uh, you know we we may still get infected, but if we don't get all infected in these huge waves that crush everything, uh, that's really the danger. As you spoke to Italy, maybe you can relate to how the curve was much steeper there and what you've learned from Italy and how that applies to all our efforts to flatten the curve here and limit our social interactions. Yeah, a little bit of a personal hit for me. I, I did some of my training actually in, in Ancona, Italy, and so I'm very aware of how modern that healthcare system is. I mean, it's it's uh, it's an amazing healthcare system. Yeah. And really to see them overwhelmed by really that curve, that spike, to see their ICU beds just completely filled, um, to see providers, you know, uh, dying, actually, you know, physicians and APPs and nurses. So um, that's really informed us. I think that really sounded the alarm bells for us in this country. Um, so this social mitigation has been key, uh, has been key to really flatten that curve. I think we're going to really see in the next 10 to 14 days how successful we've been. Hopefully we've been very successful. Yeah. I think that's concerning. I just, uh, you know, all of us have time to take in various uh, news and, and articles, and, and it's uh, hard to sort of duck and weave around what's uh, hyperbole, what's political, what's whatever. But I think 
my main concern as yours is too is just uh, we're just getting to co- any type of capacity for testing. So right. for weeks and weeks now, I remember from long time Michigan had no cases, and then we had one, and that was a couple of days, right. and then you know now we're it's spiking, and so to that end, um, you I think as we get more tests, we're gonna you know as California is shutting down, they're taking more drastic measures. Um, What's the testing sort of uh, resources you have at Metro now, and how are you feeling about capacity to test more broadly other than the maybe a narrow parameters that people have to meet to get tested now? Sure. So, Brian, I think, I think one thing, though, that folks need to understand is that, in general, the vast majority of people who get infected by COVID-19, that is actually quite mild, mm-hmm. right? The typical symptoms are fever, dry cough, and then perhaps dyspnea, shortness of breath. And so most people will have a very mild illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really, our concern is for the elderly, for folks who have an underlying comorbid condition, whether it's lung disease, heart disease. Mm-hmm. So it's really going to be a small fraction that actually get end up, end up getting hospitalized. Right. But of those folks, about 20% will end up in the ICU and, and, and really with severe disease. So that's, that's the folks that we're very concerned about. Yeah. So testing has been limited. Um, but on the flip side, again, because there's no specific treatment for COVID-19, there's mm-hmm. no specific antiviral medication, no specific antibiotic, mm-hmm. there are studies underway. But right now, it's all supportive care. So for the vast majority who have mild COVID-19 disease, really the recommendation is, is almost the same as for a common cold or, or mm-hmm. influenza. It's to really quarantine yourself at home, right? right. Take precautions. Uh, and then for the rest of us, really washing our hands, you know, yeah. not touching your face and things like that. So, yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but the uh, but to that end, about that, that's kind of like um, getting people to really pay attention is part part of the problem because some people think, well, the symptoms aren't that mild. You know, most people with normal health things are just going to get uh, a little bit sick and then it'll pass on. But uh, that messaging is great to, to know that we shouldn't have anxiety about that. It's more serious disease for 80, 90, 95% of us or however, whatever percentage you want to apply. But it's so important for us to limit uh, healthier people who might be asymptomatic or only a little bit sick or think they have allergies or a small cough, seasonal flu, uh, from spreading it to people who are much more vulnerable. And so that sort of mixture of messaging, I know Metro Health's been very clear about about those things. Um, but how do we get people to really pay attention who are feeling like this is oh, a little bit overblown or a little bit, uh, you know, too, too too dramatic in the media? You know, I, Brian, I, I really do think people are getting that message. Um, you know, I, I live downtown and uh, had to get some water and, and walk to a uh, local store. The, the streets were deserted, right? Yeah. Um, it was almost a little concerning in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You right. know, think about that. But I think people are getting that message. They are getting the importance of that social distancing, just as you said, because you can feel mild symptoms or maybe have no symptoms, but still spread it to others. 
And again, if you spread it to somebody who's older, who has underlying disease, I mean, that, that can truly be very serious and, and, you know, ultimately lead to their death, perhaps. Sure. Um, can you talk a little bit specifically about um, just our community in West Michigan? And you talked about the partnership with your sister healthcare systems being Mercy Health, St. Mary's is what it used to be called, and then uh, Spectrum Health, just in terms of collaboration and uh, are there, uh, what, what sort of specific efforts are there to help each other uh, through this time as you prepare for probably a likely surge of, of people that are infected and need um, some of that respiratory care or some right. of those more serious symptoms? No, there, there's been a lot of collaboration. Um, again, I, I talk with you know my counterparts there pretty often. Um, just an example would be around the visitor policy. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we wanted all three of our systems to send a unified message to the community around the visitor policy. You know, when Governor Whitmer first announced it um, here locally, you know, it's, it's hard to tell patients, families, you know, you can't visit uh, unless, you know, A, B, or C. And there's some strict criteria around that. So we wanted to send that message out together. You know, we feel strongly that Michigan should also have a shelter-in-place order, just yeah. like California uh, has had since Monday, just because, again, just the absolute importance of social distancing. Yeah. This is the way we're going to stem the tide. Um, very likely we will see a surge, right? Yeah. How big that surge is, we don't quite know. But the more that we can do this social distancing, I think the smaller the surge that we are going to see. You know, I'd love for you to speak about Metro Health's um, staffing and, and physician care and how they're, they're handling the situation and sort of plans that you've made to uh, be more effective in terms of uh, covering and caring for COVID, COVID-19. Yeah, Brian, I'm, you know, the, the health and safety of our patients, number one, and the health and safety of our employees uh, are of utmost importance and and the biggest priority. And so we want to be sure that we're supporting our staff through this, Um, both our clinical staff as well as really our non-clinical staff as well. So we've strongly encouraged going back the last two weeks that anyone who can work from home should. I mean, pretty much mandating it, in fact. Uh, Number two, there are clinical uh, folks like nurses and doctors who can't, obviously, and and they embrace that. You know, they want to take care of patients. Um, But we want to make sure that if they are exposed, number one, that we can support them. So we've got some very progressive and innovative ways to do that, including really being very flexible with PTO, giving them more PTO. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got something called the STIB bank that, again, provides them more time. We've opened up uh, a childcare facility that obviously we're, we're operating gratis uh, for their children, um, really utilizing just the best uh, sort of the distancing we can with sure. that. Yeah. Um, We've also had all now clinical staff in the hospital and in the clinics wear masks. Um, really, the, the, the initial guidelines from the CDC, and, and probably still true now, is that if you've got a patient coming in with respiratory symptoms, um, we get them into a different area right away, right? right. They, they, they have a mask on, and so when the patient has the mask on, you know, that's very effective in terms of preventing spread. Sure. But 
I get the concern from clinical staff. We get it. And so we're, we're making sure that all our clinical staff actually wear masks now mm -hmm. uh, throughout the hospital, throughout the clinics. Um, in terms of our clinics, our outpatients, we've got 18 sites all around the community. What we've decided to do is to not only obviously protect patients, but also protect our providers. So we have three of those 18 sites that will see patients who are coming in with illnesses. Um, we've got a hotline that patients can access that will direct them to the ED, perhaps, or mm -hmm. one of these three sites. But the vast majority of our outpatient visits, seeing physicians and APPs, mm -hmm. will be done through digital, virtual. Yeah. So we were going to do a big launch of our digital platform this summer, mm -hmm. you know, our app and everything. We've, we've actually accelerated that. Sure. So within the next week to 10 days, that will be rolled out so that all, all Metro uh, uh, patients and community patients can access mm -hmm. appointments through digital. Yeah, and that's been a trend that's been been onboarding more and more, yes. which makes sense uh, conveniently for this day and age. And then, what about like elective sort of like uh, procedures that people might have that aren't mission critical to their particular health, be it a uh, you know whatever a, a small knee surgery or you know or some some things that might be able to put off? Are you recommending that yet for patients or? Where are we yeah, at? actually, so um, even going back about a week ago, uh, there was guidance from the Surgeon General uh, in terms of really limiting elective procedures. Mm -hmm. The difficult thing has always been elective procedures. There's a range, right? There right. are necessary elective. There are folks with cancer or who are in pain, um, whereas on the other side of that range is screening colonoscopies and truly elective procedures. Sure. Um, we've severely limited elective procedures. Actually, earlier today, we sent out a, a memo to our staff that we are not going to do elective procedures, period. Mm -hmm. And the reasons for that, again, are a, a couplefold. One is for that social distancing. Number two is because there is a limited supply of things like surgical masks. Um, and it's also to protect patients, right? And right before this broadcast, actually five minutes ago, got an email from uh, the state that uh, Governor Whitmer has actually an executive order. Um, again, no elective procedure. So I think we're all on the yeah. same page on that. Well, it just speaks to how unprecedented it is and then also to, to prepare for... Um, you know, to be prepared for, for a surge of, of things and be able to... Um, not have such a high demand on on your staff and and because they're at great risk to get uh, exposed yes and uh, so it's a really tricky problem i just can't imagine how how are you personally maintaining trying to make the best innovative decisions you can and still be able to um operate a successful system across across the board no, I think, you know, for me and, and for I think a lot of us in healthcare, the mantra is put the needs of the patient first. That really does guide every decision we make or try to make. Mm -hmm. um, so that's always there to sort of be that northern light. For me personally, it's a little bit more difficult in that uh, my wife and kids are in Portland, Oregon. Um, uh, they're off from school, obviously, because of all the sure. college uh, stuff. But... Yeah, so I won't be able to go back there for probably quite some time and haven't been. And so 
it's very real that way. Yeah, but for sure. it's you know the camaraderie you feel with your team, right? Um, the camaraderie that I feel with again my counterparts, leaders, and other healthcare organizations. Uh, I think you know means a lot and, and carries you through it. So in terms of the, the campus and uh, your main campus at, at Metro Health, uh, is there a particular command center or, or how, are, how are you sort of set up as an infrastructure just to deal with that particular campus and what does that mean? Yeah, we have uh, an incident command center. Uh, it's in the basement of, of the main hospital and uh, it's very connected and we really... I think one of the key pieces of this, Brian, is that our communications to our staff and employees is clear, comes from one source. And so our, all our communications come from that incident command center. It's staffed by a team uh, of core leaders, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, Penny DeVries and, and marketing and communications. Our, our chief medical officer, Ron Grifka, leads that incident command team. Um, and so they meet. Um, a few people in person, mostly virtual, twice a day. Mm -hmm. And so just discussing all the important topics, updates, and rolling out communications. Well, I even saw Dr. Pai out uh, on uh, media and local news. It seems like you're um, canvassing as much as you can because you have a large network of patients that are already um, part of your system. They're looking for information from sources. It's great to see. Um, you know, how much, even that you could spend a, a little bit of time with us here today on the podcast talking about it. Um, it's just critical, as you've underscored, that uh, it comes from one voice uh, and one direction so people are confident in what they're, what they're feeling and hearing and seeing. And I think that's the key, Brian. I think people should be confident, right? We, we, um, I think we've done the right things collectively um, we will get through this. That's my message to our, our staff is that we're going to get through this. We're going to be better for it as a, as a healthcare system, as a leadership team. Um, I have every confidence that, uh, you know, we're going to look back on this and this will be a tipping point um, for digital health, for how we uh, approach healthcare in the United States. It seems to be pointing that way. It really is undeniable. I mean, you're, you're, we really have a, a tiger by the tail here for, for a, a foreseeable future. I mean, just the economy is uh, around just what I do. And in yeah. the creative fields, it's upside down as schools are upside down. It's, it's, there's virtually no part of life or business that hasn't been impacted by this. And that just doesn't happen very much in human history, you know? Sure doesn't. I mean, I think, yeah, there's going to be before and after, right, COVID-19 in a lot of in a lot of ways yeah um i'd like to talk about one thing because some people have talked about you know i mean the talk about the flu virus you know usually has a certain amount of casualties assigned yeah. to it and these things and, the, and it's almost this casualness about well these measures might seem extreme because uh you know we have all these other events people die from heart disease they die from car accidents and it's just a false equivalent in my mind but maybe just impress again why why stopping uh, and flattening the curve 
and the infection rates and things are so important that we're so focused on COVID-19, right? And it isn't about seasonal flu so much right now. Of course, that's a major con- concern. But help help the audience sort of understand that puts that argument out there. It's like, well, a lot of other sort of things cause death as well. Um, how can we impress upon people that uh, this is extremely s- serious? So I think, again, I, that flatten the curve concept is so important uh, in this discussion because one of the key parts of that is the U.S. healthcare system and really the world healthcare system, it's, there's a defined capacity right now. There's a defined number of beds. There's a defined number of you know, healthcare providers. Corona, COVID-19 spread so quickly. There's so much connectivity throughout the world that if if there is that big spike, it will just overwhelm us. And I think that's one of the big differences with, you know, as, as important as influenza is and other diseases, that, you know, coronavirus has a much, COVID-19 has a much better chance of causing that big spike, overwhelming the system. Sure. Well, and that's just to speak as, a, you know, this is a, a separate new event. It doesn't decrease the amount of people who may need ER care for a car accident or for uh, or, or flu, normal influenza that they might have seasonally or cancer or whatever. It just complicates those resources and can put additional people at risk that don't even have COVID-19 who are uh, just need health care because this, and it could exasperate things for people who might normally have a positive outcome. It may not be possible if the system's strained to this point. So I just have seen that argument a lot. It's frustrating to see, you know, people consistently go back to this trope about, well, you know, why are we taking this so seriously because X, Y, and Z happens? Well, we're adding an entire, entire layer of ramped up, accelerated demand that uh, we can help to prevent by social limiting our interactions and stopping the spread. So... That's my understanding. Yeah. Does that seem, that's seem abs- to be that's a- absolutely right? And you know, the curious thing—not curious, but the thing, Brian—is even with influenza now, um, we're seeing actually lower rates of influenza given the time of year compared to previous years. And mm-hmm. one of the really thoughts behind that is because of the social distancing we're doing because of COVID nineteen, that it's actually having an effect on influenza spread. Sure. Well, we're limiting, we're not transmitting all kinds of things now because uh, of our limited interaction. So in terms of what we're seeing, I mean, the United States is just really being able to start to um, accelerate the number of tests we're able to perform on people who are presenting symptoms. And there's a lot of talk about the, how difficult it is to get tests and uh, supplies like masks and things that you've already alluded to. So how are you feeling about Metro Health's uh, positioning in terms of uh, supply, masks, uh, tests, what's, what's coming? Sure. No, I, I think there's been a lot of concerns around testing, uh, number one, and also, number two, supply of masks. Um, I think in terms of testing, it's, it's really been important that we followed CDC guidelines around testing. And really, those guidelines have said test people who are hospitalized with respiratory symptoms, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, test people with comorbid illnesses or who are immunocompromised and having symptoms. And then number three, test 
healthcare workers who have been exposed or are developing symptoms. The vast majority of people, again, because symptoms are mild, um, treatment, specific treatment doesn't exist, I, you know, testing for that group has not been that important. Now that we're finally getting more testing available, more and more people will be tested, uh, and that'll help you know, in terms of epidemiology, in terms of you know, contacts and such. Like for us at Metro, we, we utilize the state lab um, and within the next two to four weeks, we will be have the capability to test in-house, mm -hmm. and the advantages of that is a faster turnaround, you yeah. know, four hours versus when we send it to the state, it can take two, two or three days. days. Yeah. Um, and uh, Michigan Medicine has started testing in-house uh, two, three days ago, and other systems will continue to come online. And so the amount of testing available will greatly accelerate here in the next couple weeks. Yeah. Well, that's good news. That's yep. great news. Yeah, and then just the supply chain of, of masks and things and those sort of uh, durable goods that, that you need in high demand anyway, but especially at this time. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, China in many ways has been our supply chain for a lot of things, and masks uh, were one of those. And so I think, again, it, this is a tipping point for this country in the way we think about supply chain. Mm -hmm. Um, we've been fortunate. We've we've really worked hard behind the scenes to secure enough surgical masks, as well as the N95 masks that are used for um, airborne isolation. Mm -hmm. So we're in a good position with that. You know, we're certainly willing to you know help out others if it came to that. But um, I think that mass situation is concerning. We we follow it day to day. So in in our incident command meetings, you know, twice a day. How many masks do we have? How many days supply? Um, we're in a good spot with that, but uh, it is concerning, and I think it's going to change the way I think the whole country looks at you know where we get them, how we get them. Sure. Yeah, and it just underscores the interconnectivity of this world. So we're seeing it play out in in a pandemic and how connected we are yep. and how easy it is to transmit things, but our supply chain for simple things and what doesn't matter uh, it's such a global tight knit infrastructure now of how we get anything absolutely uh, food versus you know packaging to to core supplies it really just underscores how much we're connected as human beings and um, how just one little disruption can can really create a domino effect uh, that you're quickly trying to <laughs> absolutely yeah. undo the bell. What an honor for me to have you here. And again, uh, thank you so much for the support of this podcast. We're gonna. I, I really feel great about what we're doing and what we can accomplish together in terms of these types of conversations. So again, thank you, Dr. Han. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Brian. Well, my thanks to Dr. Peter Hahn. That was a, a great conversation. It was uh, eye-awakening. It is also comforting that to know the dedication of Metro Health and all our hospital systems in our region to um, getting us through this crisis. Uh, but there's a lot that we can do to uh, help each other and help these systems thrive under difficult circumstances. And as we continue to uh, be under isolation for quite some time, I find great comfort in the arts right now, the, all forms of human expression, the beauty of, of the arts and culture through books, cinema, music, uh, 
you know, just this expression of creativity is, is something I'm taking great solace in. It's very comforting to know that human beings are beautiful. We should love each other and care for each other. And I hope you have a great week. Take care, everybody. This Full Exposure Podcast episode has been made possible through the support of Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, who believe that creativity and the arts are essential to a rich, healthy, and fulfilling life. <laughs>